This morning's sermon is one of those that is easy to understand, but very hard to do. So there are some passages in Scripture that we're really struggling to understand what is going on there. Others of them, we know exactly what it's saying, but it goes to doing those things. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might do what God calls us to do. So you're going to walk out of here today very much in need of prayer to say, God, help me to do these things. Because it's a good and beautiful list, but we've got to turn to the Lord. We're in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and and two and then nine through 21. Uh, we're taking a break for just a week of going through Luke and looking here at Romans. How it is that we might be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. So please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through uh, 2 first. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Moving to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So our passage today begins in Romans, the first couple of verses of Romans 12, and this very important verse comes out in 2, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We have to begin with this because it has everything to do with the rest of the chapter. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. What does it mean to be conformed? We have uh, an engineer, it's in our church, that works in a, in, a, in a plant that deals with sheet metal and has presses. And these presses use these 20 tons of pressure to take the sheet metal and conform it to the image that they want it in. When the press comes down and it comes back up, it's in a different shape because it's been pressed into the designed form. This is what it means to be conformed to something. And every one of us live in the world. And we live under the pressure of the world, where the, the world is trying every day to press you into its image, to conform you to the likeness of this corrupt and fallen world. 
But we are to resist these things because the world and its desires and its accomplishments are empty. They are passing away, as the scripture says. They will not give you what you think they will. In the end, they will pierce you through with sorrows and they will show themselves to be empty. As we looked a couple of weeks ago with the temptation of Jesus Christ, we are to resist these things. We are to stand against the evil of this world and press against that, not being conformed to the image of this world, resisting it, and instead being transformed, as it says, by the renewing of your mind. When our mind is changed towards something, our desires are changed towards something. And the way that we want something, the way that we look at the world is changed so that we live in a different way. And we are aiming to live in the likeness of Jesus Christ, that we are keeping our eyes on him, keeping our focus on him, seeking after him in such a way that we are transformed to be like Jesus Christ in our manner and in our bearing in all that we do. So... The New Testament is translated from ancient Greek manuscripts. And I don't often bring out the Greek, but there is a very, this word transformed here is so important. And the way in which it is specifically written in the scriptures has so much for us that we need to look at it. Because the, the be transformed verb here is in the present tense meaning that it is a continuous action, not an action that happened in the past. It's not that you were transformed at some point in the past when you came to know Christ, but the action of being transformed and being more like Christ, becoming more like Christ, is an ongoing, continuous action in our life that happens now and will happen tomorrow. It's in the passive voice which is critically important to everything we'll talk about here this morning because it means that it is happening to you. Meaning you're not the one. You're gonna, if you walk out of this sermon today and say, man, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to make all this happen because I am determined to do it, you're going to fail because you're missing what's happening here. The being transformed, you are being transformed by the power of God at work in your life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you can never accomplish the works of God or become like Christ in any part of your life if you are not welcoming and seeking and praying for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to change you and to make you more like Jesus. But there's a third part of it because it's in the imperative mood. And an imperative is a, is a direction or a command which emphasizes our responsibility in this matter. And so we do have a responsibility. There's this parallel track of the Holy Spirit working in us and us being responsible for our actions. And this is a mystery. But it's all tied together in this one verb of be transformed. May the Holy Spirit have his way. May the Holy Spirit be at work in your life continuously. But may we also feel the responsibility to resist the world and seek after Christ. So when we go on from the second verse of chapter 12 into 3 through 9, a wonderful section, but a section that we're going to move past today. It's vital in that it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And you must understand that all that happens in the second part of this section here is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
verses 3 through um, 8, talks about the giftings of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gifts each believer in Jesus Christ. We were talking about this in the new member class a little bit uh, this past Friday about how every person that comes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, takes up residence in you, similar to the, the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament. He makes his presence known through your life. But he gives us different gifts so that when we come together here as a church, we might work in harmony, a word we're going to see here later in the passage. But it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' church. It's his work in our lives that makes us like Jesus Christ. So let's turn to verse 9. In this list, and I'm, you know, and part of me when I when I when I plan preaching, I think I look at something like this, and I'm like, oh, there's so much good stuff here, but that you could talk for hours and hours and hours about all that's in this long list. So we're going to go through it, and we're going to do the best we can in the time that we have. But I want you to see it because it's a beautiful list. What Paul is doing here is he's giving you a list of marks of true Christianity. That when we confess Jesus as Lord and we come to salvation in him, this is not a thing of words. It's a thing of actions. It's a thing of doing. And when we say we love the Lord or we say we're a follower of Christ, but the things that we're talking about today don't mark our life and are not increasing in our life and we're not seeking those things, then we need to be concerned about what is actually going on in our heart and whether or not our faith is true or not because these things should be increasing. And the very first thing is where it always starts is love. Love is the chief fruit of God's spirit. It is the central virtue of the Christian life. It's the, it's the hub around which everything else turns. And if you have not love in your life, a love that is like Jesus Christ, you're deeply fractured in your Christian life because it's not real. And the word here, it says, let love be genuine what a wonderful word. Some of your translations may say without hypocrisy, which means not fake. Not fake, genuine, are synonymous with each other. We sometimes look for that label on things. Genuine leather. I love the genuine bonded leather. Like, that's not really leather. Like, why? It's, it's only leather if it's genuine leather. Genuine 24 karat gold. Genuine whatever. Why do they put that on the tag? Well, because it's something that's valuable. Something that is genuine is of greater value. And they often, in commercial products, will fake things that are not genuine because they want it to look like the real thing, but it's fake. It's going to turn green, it's going to peel, it's going to fall apart because it's not the real thing. Our love toward each other as Christians is supposed to be genuine and not faked. There's a reason why this command is here. God always commands us to our weakness. He always commands us about things that we struggle with, and all of us struggle with faking love with people around us. Come in with the plastic smile and the, hey, hey, yeah, everything's great. It's so good to see you. I, I really can't stand that person, but it's, it's, it's good to see you today. And it's fake. And it's not okay to be fake as Christians with each other in the church. It happens all the time, but it's wrong. And the first thing out of the shoot here is a mark of a true Christian that is transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ is that our love for one another is genuine, and it must occur. I'm going to read to us from 1 Corinthians um, 13, uh, verses 1 through 3 and then 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The first mark of a genuine Christian is the same mark of Jesus Christ, that he loved the world in a genuine, non-fake, non-hypocritical way. And when he came and lived and walked amongst us, there was nothing fake about him. It's genuine love. And if your love for God and others is not genuine, then you must re-examine your entire Christian life as to what you are doing and whether the Holy Spirit is truly at work in your heart. We've got to ask some diagnostic questions. When examining the nature of love in your life, you must first ask whether you love Jesus genuinely because it's his spirit that gives us the ability to love others. And so we love him first. I ask you today, do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you long to spend time with him? When you pray and kneel down on your knees and, and speak to the Lord, is it something that's a thing of joy, something that brings you peace, something that you know is true communion with the Lord? When you open his word, though it may be difficult at first, it ends in sweetness because the Lord speaks to you and gives you what you need. This is genuine love. I would ask you, why are you here today? Why do you sing these songs are they sung to the Lord out of love or are they sung because someone is compelling you to do it or some other reason that's not true or something that's fake? Why do you live according to the commands of Jesus? If you are for any other reason other than a genuine love of God here today or praying or seeking the scriptures, if there's any other motivation than the love of God, the motivation is wrong or somehow off or skewed because we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seeking the Lord in love is the first place of the heart. The first love of your heart must be toward the Lord Jesus because there is an ordering of love. This love, which is first going to the Lord, then overflows, and it overflows and cascades downward, and it overflows in zeal and service toward others, beginning with our family. So I've talked about this before and I'll continue to talk about it because it's very important. The first place that genuine Christian love is going to overflow to is to those that are immediately around us in our family. Whether it be a spouse or children or immediate family that lives with you. If we love the Lord Jesus, that love for him will overflow to loving those that are immediately around us. We spend the most time with the people that are around us the most in our family, our spouse, our children. Perhaps we have extended family members uh, living with you. This gives us the potential for the deepest human relationships because we spend the most time with these people. But what also happens when you spend a lot of time around people? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and when we spend a lot of time around each other, we also sin against each other. And so it creates a problem. Because when we are around people and we sin often, it can become a wedge between us. So the opportunity is there for this person or persons to become a great sanctifying influence in our life or to drive a great wedge between us. How are the, how are the two different? 
Well, when we love the Lord and we walk with the Lord and we are near to the Lord and sin comes into a, a dear family relationship, something's got to happen. We talk about it often. It's the asking of forgiveness and the granting of forgiveness that is genuine based on love. I will truly forgive you because I love you or I will ask for your forgiveness because I don't want our relationship to be fractured and because you love me, you'll forgive me. And so the love of Jesus which forgave us all of our sins. We are unwilling to bear any grudge against our family member. We're willing to forgive them because for Jesus' sake, we have been forgiven. And so what happens is being around this person ends up being a sanctifying influence, or it makes us more like Christ because we practice the love of God, and we practice extending forgiveness and granting forgiveness, and we become more like Christ because of this near relationship. This doesn't happen when you can just run away from things. When you leave things and set a step aside and, and just don't deal with whatever's going on, the same influence is not present. That's part of God's design. It's part of his design with children, with family, with marriage. And this is genuine love. It forgives for Jesus' sake. Genuine love does not keep a long record of wrongs to hold over people. Genuine love seeks the good and blessing of our family members and our children. Genuine love rejoices when they rejoice and weeps when they weep. Weep. Genuine love seeks good at all time. But genuine love is also to be applied in wisdom. Genuine love does not always mean giving someone what they want or whatever is the easiest or the first thing that may come to mind. The scriptures are full of admonitions that love often involves discipline or love often involves hard things that we have to say in order to correct a relationship. And that's, that's a sermon for another day, but I want you to at least understand that love manifests itself often through wisdom and, and wise words. If it's been a long time since you've read 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter, I encourage you to do that. It'd be a good thing to meditate on this afternoon and remind yourself of what Christian genuine love is to look like. So this cascading Christian love, genuine love, genuine love for the Lord Jesus, which then flows to a genuine love for our family members, for our spouse, for our children, which then flows into the church. It's very interesting here and important and not often spoken of that the, the next step is, is the church. When Paul writes these letters to the churches, he often uses one another language. One another is one another. When I talk about one another in this room, I'm talking about you and me and those of us that are sitting here and the way that we treat one another. And it was the same for Paul. When he wrote a letter to these churches, he talked to them about how they ought to live amongst one another. And the love that we have for the Lord is to overflow into honor, service, hospitality within the church toward one another. Genuine love towards the church is a genuine nature of wanting to see each other. Like, I am truly glad to see you, and I'm not faking it. I want to be around you. I want to contact you more. Let's talk this week. Let's, let's set a time to have breakfast because I love you and I want to see you. It's again forgiveness, not allowing divisions to remain because we are willing for the sake of Jesus to love each other enough to forgive each other. We learn each other's names. We bless each other by all means that we can. We seek to, to plan ways that we, can, that we can bless each other. And we'll see that appear again later in the sermon. But there's an order to this. Because if you haven't spent any time with Jesus this week and you were screaming at your kids before you walked through the door today, 
it's going to be really hard to say, it is so good to see you and hug this person with genuine love because you're like, ah, it's just, it's just not there. There's nothing in the well. If you haven't spent time with the Lord Jesus, he hasn't filled you up, so you don't have anything to pour out to anyone else. But when you've been with the Lord and you've been in the scriptures and you've been in prayer and the Holy Spirit has ministered to your heart, you have much to say to others. You'll have a wise word to say to them. You'll, by the Holy Spirit, you'll remember their name and you will, uh, you'll want to see them and be around them. And God is at work in these things. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially those who are of the household of faith. And so we are looking for ways to genuinely love each other in this church. So loving the Lord, loving uh, your family, loving the church, and then it spills out into the world. And we know that if we do not love God and we don't love our family and we don't love the church, there's not going to be any authentic love for this world. There's, there's nothing there. It's just uh, charity for charity's sake, but there's nothing in it that will teach them about the Lord Jesus, and in the end, there will be nothing that will lead them to salvation. And so when we go out into the world, we are certainly seeking to provide needs for the world. There's much good that comes out of refugee care, relief, all these things, wonderful but they must be paired with the gospel because as we go out, we go out into the world in a missional way to teach them about the love of God, that they might know who God is and experience his love, that they might come full circle, that they might experience a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, that they might know what it is to be forgiven by him. And when they are forgiven, then they can love their family and their children right, and they can come into a church and experience the genuine love of that. And someone that was outside comes in and they are saved. And this is the joy of genuine Christian love. So I would ask you, is your life marked by this type of love? Is it increasing? Are you being transformed? Are you in prayer much about this? We'll see that constant prayer is a mark of the Christian life. We will always have to go back to the Lord. Oh God, I have failed so bad in this. Help me, forgive me, transform me. Genuine Christian love, the first mark. All right, we're going to pick it up and speed through some of these others, but look at meaningful things that I think are a part of all of this. So after genuine Christian love is abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. It's two sides of the same coin. Either one is not enough alone. We are, both represent the character of God. God both loves what is good and he hates what is evil. And so it is with us. We must love speaking the truth, but we also must hate lying. We must love what is pure, but then we hate those things which are impure. We hate pornography. We love marriage, but we hate the sadness that comes from divorce. We love children. We hate abortion. We love unity. We hate division. They're two sides of the same thing. And in every case, it's not enough to just have one side. By loving one and hating the other, we are following after what Jesus has called for us to do. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10. uh, Love one another with brotherly affection. This is a great, great term. Uh, You know, when I think about this, I just... 
think about the guys in this church that I love being around so much and how much I enjoy being around them and what it's like to get together and the brotherly affection that we have for each other and that that is supposed to be spread throughout the church, that we are to have a great brotherly affection for each other. The, the, the scriptures tell us often that we should call each other brother and sister. It's a term of equality, and it's a term of endearment. It's a term of familial love. And so in Christ, we are brothers and sisters to each other. And in the way that God would have it to be, we are to love each other. Let us all be this way. Let no division stand in our midst. Verses 10 and 11, outdo one another in showing honor zealous passion for serving the Lord and honoring others in the church. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means that you know somebody in your life that blesses you and you think, man, that person's, oh, they're always blessing me more than I'm blessing them. So you're planning during the week, how can I be a blessing to this person? I'm going to put this together. I'm going to bless my, my wife in this way. Or I'm going to bless my kids in this way. Or you know, this, this brother at church, I'm going to, I know he needs this. I'm going, to, I'm going to do that for him this week. I'm, I'm going to call her this week, and I'm going to be a blessing to her. And maybe they beat you to it. And you're like, ah! And so we're trying to outdo each other because we love each other that much. That's what it means to love each other in Christ, outdoing each other and showing honor do not be slothful in zeal, zealous as the Lord was, fervent in spirit, not half-hearted, serving the Lord. Verse 12 has a three-part thing that goes together. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. So first is rejoice in hope. How is it that we as Christians rejoice in hope? I believe that we rejoice in hope by standing on the promises of God, that we stand on the truth of God, and because of these truths, we can have hope for the future. Things that are yet unseen, we believe them because of what we read in the scriptures, that Jesus has risen and that Jesus will return, that Jesus never makes mistakes, that he will not leave us or forsake us, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are bare, that he will always meet our needs, and he will continue to work out the good plan that he has for our lives. And as we believe these things, we hope in them, and so we believe that God is working out the future in such a way that when the next thing that hits, which is tribulations and struggles, we can work our way through those things by faith. It says, be patient in hardship and tribulation. We should all be prepared for hardship, whether it's this afternoon, tomorrow, next week. Tribulations and hardships and struggles will never be done in this life. This world is fallen, it is corrupt, it is hard, it comes to us in all different ways, relationally, financially, health-wise. All of us here struggle. And this is a part of why we must genuinely care for each other. That as each of us are going through different struggles, and if we look around this church, there's struggles and different things with each person. We must love each other in such a way that we remind each other of the promises of God, that we come alongside each other and help each other where we need it. And remember what is going on, that we might last through tribulation and hardship. There is no greater example of tribulation and hardship in the scripture than Paul or our Lord Jesus. In Paul, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that he was imprisoned. He was stoned for the gospel. Three times shipwrecked. Five times receiving 40 lashes from Jewish leaders for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
three times beaten with rods, hungry and thirsty often, cold and exposed, despised, rejected, betrayed by false brothers. You name it, Paul went through it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he was always upheld by the Lord. Because the Lord loved him and his spirit was near to him and Paul was a man of great faith, believing the promises of God. His hope was not in this world. His hope was in a life yet to come. And so by constant prayer, the third part of this, constant persevering prayer, Paul and all believers down through time have been able to make it through the struggles of this life. What is constant prayer? It means that through the day, right now, this afternoon, when you know that you are in need and you're being pressed, you're being conformed to the world, you want to give yourself over to anxiety or to despair or to struggle, you literally get down on your knees and ask God, please help me. May your spirit give me what I need at this time. I believe you. I believe your word. Strengthen me that I might not give way to these things. And the Lord always shows himself faithful. The Lord will give you what you need. It will lead you to worship. And it's this wonderful cycle of struggle and prayer and worship and struggle and prayer and worship. And the Lord continues to meet our needs over and over and over. So the true Christian is marked by continuous, constant, persevering prayer. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the, with the, uh, the progression of showing love. That when we are giving of things, that we, there is a progression to how financially we help people in our love. It would be wrong for me to help someone financially here in this church if my own children did not have the things that they needed. It's right for me to care first and meet the needs of my family. And then once those needs are met, I'm going to look to the needs of this church. And it's right then to meet the needs of what are here and then outside of that, look to the rest of the world. And what we find, strangely enough, is that there's always enough to give to everyone. When you have a generous heart, it's amazing how the Lord seems to provide for all levels of these things. But I believe it is right to order our love. And so I ask you, Are you actively looking for needs in this congregation that you might contribute to? Just this morning, I was talking to somebody that needed some furniture, and I hope they'll make that need known because I believe we'll be able to fill the whole house up with uh, contributions from this church. But look for the needs of those who are around you, and beware of the trap of retirement. I say this because America loves retirement. There are so many commercials about this, and The Proverbs speak often and rightly about being wise, about planning for the future, and that is good and right. But unfortunately, the non-Christian understanding of that in our day and age is to make the biggest pile of money that you possibly can so when you get to the end of your life, you can spend it all on yourself. And there is nothing Christian about that, okay? The the Lord supplies the things that we need so that our needs will be met, and part of that is certainly saving and being responsible for old age. But if you look and you see a need that is pulling on your heart, and you know it is right to give, and you think, nope, I'd rather keep this for myself, and you justify that because of something that is ungodly, it's not justified. Be prayerful about these things. Be wise about these things. But I challenge you to consider being generous because it is a mark of a true Christian that we love each other through generosity. And it could not possibly be more clearly uh, spoken of than in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, that is, that's, again, that's church language. That's someone in this church. You see your brother in need, you know he's in need. Yet you close your heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Powerful language there. Don't close your heart against these things. Um, it's a love of the world. And every time that we harden our heart just a little bit, it, it, it progresses in degrees. And before we know it, our heart is very hard. Whereas the opposite is true. When we continue to give and give and love and generosity, our heart opens and opens and opens. And we see the Lord doing a good work in our life. Look for needs around you. Verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> wrong, wrong chapter. Got to get back to verse, uh, the right verse 13. There we go, in Romans. Uh, verse 13, showing hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Showing hospitality, loving each other. And hospitality is specifically having people into your home. This is something that's very lost in our day and age. Uh, it's good to get together with friends at, at a restaurant and things like this, but I'm telling you, it's just not the same as opening the doors to your house. Because it, it, it requires a degree of preparation. It, it requires a degree of humility sometimes. But there's something very special and it shows genuine love when you bring people into your home and say, I'm glad you're here. Come into my house. Let me serve you a meal. Let's pray together. Let's talk together in an unhurried way. And we as Christians are to open our homes to each other and invite each other into our homes and show hospitality. It's a command, by the way, not a suggestion. It's an it's a integral part of Christian living that we open our homes and show hospitality to each other. In a day and age where we live in gated communities and the doors are very closed and we tend to not want to have much to do with each other personally, as Christians, we should be different. All right, then we change gears and in getting into this powerful section that talks about blessing your enemies in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. You can read right over that, but that is not an easy statement right there. It doesn't say ignore your enemies, it says bless your enemies, which means similar to what you're doing with people in the church where you're looking for a way to bless them, in the same way you are looking for a way to actually show good and do good to those that are against you. This takes a work of the Holy Spirit. If you thought the rest of this list, you're like, I think I can do this on my own. When you get to this point, you're going to realize, I can't do this on my own. Because people that hate me, that are honestly my enemies, I cannot love them without a work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And so what happens here, there's many examples of this in the scripture, but I'm going to read for you the example that is so powerful for me from the book of Acts with the stoning of Stephen, who was trying and did show love to those around him. But when he got into preaching the gospel, they did not want to hear the gospel, and they hated him. But like Jesus, even at his time of death, he cries out that God might forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, and he wants to see them saved. He wants to see good to those that are even in the very process and act of killing him. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed at him together and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so Stephen here brings into stark focus what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do with loving our enemies is not just doing good things for them. We ultimately want them to come to salvation. We want them to be saved. And this connects together with the not taking vengeance against them. We, are, we want to let go of our anger and resentment to them to such an extent that we can honestly and truly say, I want you to know Christ as your Savior. And I'm willing to undergo any wrong and forgive anything that you may have done to me. I will not hate you because I want you to know Christ as your Savior. And so it is we're called to bless our enemies and those that hate us. We're going to come back to this in a moment because Paul comes back to it. In verse 15, He talks about genuine care and genuine compassion, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. In verse 16, he talks about living in harmony in the church. I wrote about this in our newsletter not too long ago. If you you didn't get a chance to read it, go to the church site under resources, and all those are there under the blog. And It talks about harmony. Everybody loves harmony in music. We heard harmony up here this morning. It was beautiful. Multiple parts, different instruments, different voices, but all together to make one beautiful thing. And so it is to be in this church that we are in harmony with one another. In verse 16, humble, joyful, seeking to be with the humble and not being pride, not elevating ourselves above others, thinking that we're better than others and separating ourselves. But we are to be a church that has all types of people in it and through these types of people that we associate with all of us back and forth together, humbly seeking to be in each other's presence because we love each other. Verses 17 through 19 returns to the issue of vengeance. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with those who are around you. So repay no one for evil. For evil, Live peaceably. Never avenge yourselves, because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Never take revenge. That's a Christian distinctive. Do you realize that? Vengeance is something that's often held up as something that's going to be satisfying, but it's not. Because vengeance is reserved for the Lord and for the Lord only. There's a separation or a difference between, between self-defense, or if you want to read on just to the next chapter here in Romans about the way that the Lord has set up the government to bear a sword against those that are evil. This is called justice. But justice and self-defense and vengeance are different. Vengeance is when in anger I want to go and hurt somebody else because they hurt me and I'm going to hurt them worse. And this is the exact opposite of showing love to an enemy or blessing an enemy. I would prefer to kill them or punch them in the face or hurt them in some way worse than they hurt me thinking that that's going to satisfy my soul. But it will not. And it will drive a permanent wedge between you and them. And there is no hope to share the gospel with someone that you are planning and plotting vengeance against. Your heart is turned in the opposite direction of what God would have your heart be turned towards. It's important to see here that 
Paul writes that there will be vengeance, but who will take vengeance against the wicked? Not you, because you're not a perfect judge, and you don't know how to judge the situation rightly, and you don't know what the end of the situation is. But in the end, all those that hate God and reject his ways, there will be vengeance, there will be judgment that comes from God. But it is not yet a time for judgment. Now is a time for gospel mission. Now is a time to go forward with a heart that loves God, seeking to share the gospel with others, and we're going to leave vengeance to the Lord. And so I encourage you today, make this a matter of prayer. If you have something lodged in your heart that you just cannot get out because you want vengeance against someone, give it to the Lord. Pray, confess it, seek instead some way that you might be able to bless that person and seek their good. There is no greater, no greater version, no greater story of this in anywhere in the Bible than with Joseph. If you have not read the last chapters of the book of Genesis and about the story of Joseph, I encourage you to read it. A story where a guy had brothers that took him and intentionally sold him into slavery. And when he was in a foreign land, he was falsely accused and then thrown into prison and spent years and years in prison. Thirteen years of his life lost in slavery and prison before uh, he ended up being exalted to a high place. And in this high place, his brothers come. It's a crazy story. Read it. And they come in front of him and they don't even realize that it's him. And he has the authority of the state of Egypt to put to death his brothers. But what he does is he eventually blesses them and brings them to live with him and gives them every good thing because it's a work of the Lord. It's a work of grace in his heart. He could have put them all to death on the spot, but he didn't. Instead, by the grace of God, he showed them love. And it is an example to us that we must never take vengeance, live peaceably, give vengeance to the Lord. He will judge rightly. We've talked about a lot of things this morning but they're good things. And so I ask you, as we've gone down this list, do these things mark your life? Do these things describe what is in your life in an increasing way? Do they describe the desire of your heart? Do you want to be this way? These are the marks of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our life. These are the marks of constant prayer in our lives. I believe that one or two things probably jumped out at you today, something that that convicted you greatly or encouraged you greatly. I encourage you, If something convicted you, give it to the Lord and strive this week to make it right. Work on that. Ask for the Lord to to transform your heart to be more like Jesus. That we might be marked in this church and with each other as those that are genuinely love each other, not those that live in hypocrisy. That we might not be overcome by evil, but that we might overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful passage. This is, this is a description of people that have been radically changed by the Holy Spirit, that they live in a different way that they could never live if it were not by the power and work of God in our heart. I pray for each person here, each man, woman, and child. I pray for transformation in our hearts, that you would be at work in our hearts this week to make us more like Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, in the way that we look towards others, the way that we love each other, the way that we spend our money, the way that we spend our time. May we be marked as true Christians. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.